Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Coming Up in My Sneakers. Today we have Marie Nicole. Marie Nicole. Marie Nicola, Marie Nicola. Keep going. You're doing it. You're what? doing it. You nailed it. Why did I write? It's Nicola, isn't it? It's Nicola. Oh my God. I wrote Nicole because I'm such an idiot. Um, so it's Marie Nicola, guys, who is a digital marketer and content creator. Uh, and she's best known for Nat and Marie, which we will get into shortly, and also her work on the Olympics. Um, welcome. Hi, Nicola. I don't know why I wrote Nicole. <laughs> like, well, you know, the way that you said it made it sound very hip hop. I was like, Nicole, Nick, 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 Nicola. You know, and I was you know like, what? down with that. Yeah. So like one of my best friends, her name is Stella Nicole. Like that's, that's her middle name though. So it's on her last name. So that's why I asked you originally, is that your middle name? And yeah. like, I think when I refer to her too, to other people, I just call her Stella Nicole because that's her Instagram name. So people know her as that. So I'm like, yeah, do you know Stella Nicole? Like, it's just like it regurgitated out of my mouth. Like just- as I like, totally understand. Don't that's worry so about funny. it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me where you were born and raised. <laughs> I was born in Summerside, Prince Edward Island. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I was raised in Summerside, Prince Edward Island. Oh I, my gosh. So cool. Yeah. Um, and then I went to school. I left PEI. I left PEI a couple of times, like visit family in the UK and Israel. But um, I didn't actually leave it. The, the most first significant time is when I went to university and I went to Mount Allison and I studied music there to be an opera singer. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So yeah. wait, Mount Allison, you said, is that uh, in yeah. PEI? No, it's in Sackville, New Brunswick. So it's an hour door to door oh. from Summerside. Yay, yay, man, yay. <laughs> That's where I went to school. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I, I'm horribly ignorant when it comes to the East Coast and like I don't know how far every like each place is and like I can't isn't like PEI is an actual island, right? Like don't you have to yeah. travel across a bridge or do you have to take a ferry yeah. or how do you get there? I used to be a ferry until I think 2001, 2002 and then we got a bridge and then Ooh. But there's still a ferry. Like if you want that romanticism, uh, you can still take a ferry to PEI. You can even take a ferry to Newfoundland from PEI. It's all there, but you can also take the bridge and the bridge is also pretty spectacular and it's only 12 minutes. Like, the oh. bridge. so the ferry is about 45, the bridge is 12. So um, like, yeah. So, but I mean like the slogans that we have in the East Coast are, you know, East Coast of Canada is basically yours to discover. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're, we kind of know that we're the sleeper hit of Canada um, and we're okay with that. So anytime, but I mean, we're not going anywhere. Anytime that you're ready to come for a visit, there is lots of people there that are ready to welcome you with open hands, with open arms. Well, like I totally, first of all, I need to get out there. I want to get out there so badly. I keep on telling myself next time I go to Europe, I should just like go there first and then like yeah. stay a couple of days and then just head over to Europe. But I love that you said that because not only have I just heard that from like also being in Canada, but um, I just learned that Come From Away, is that the play called? Come From Away? Yeah. I learned that that's what that play is about. I had no idea what it's about. I was seeing signs everywhere for it around the city. People were like spending $400 on tickets. I'm like, what the fuck is this play? And then I finally learned that it was about like September 11th and how like everyone there just literally like, it's so cool. That's such a cool story. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. And there, I actually made friends with one of the women that's in it, Steffi DeMarco. Um, and she plays a character, Janice. 
So it's all based in Newfoundland. And so because Newfoundland has the Gander Airport, so for a long time, whenever I was little and I'd be traveling to go visit family, I had to go to Halifax and then I would have to do stop off in Gander first to refuel. And then it would take the flight across the Atlantic. So for years until we had like large planes, every plane that was going to the UK would always stop in Gander. Mm -hmm. So on September 11th, luckily, they still had that airport. So it was set up to help all these people. So all these flights were just being redirected to go to Gander to, to touch down because there was no way they were able to fly anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, and then it was like the classic story of East Coast hospitality for sure. Cause like yeah, everybody like, there, so sweet. Like, so it's, sweet. it's like such a true, like teary eyed, like, like, why isn't there a movie about this? I would love to watch it. Like, I love the, I love plays, but like, I don't know if I want to spend $400 on a ticket, but like, I would love to watch a movie. Like that's, yeah. So for everyone listening, I don't know if you know this, but like basically everyone in Newfoundland opened their doors and like welcomed all these people who otherwise had nowhere to stay and like fed them and like gave them a place to sleep and like treated them like family and during yeah. such a, a horrible time too. Horrible. Um, so like, I, that's so cool. I was like, how have I been this like just unaware like I just didn't know that that was the what the play was and I was like what come from what what is this thing like what's <laughs> happening and then I learned but yeah really really cool so um I can only imagine that that sort of like woven into your personality from growing up there like did you have like were you into like sports or arts growing up like how were you as a kid I was um <sighs> it, it was a hard shift because I ended up getting a really bad knee injury so I was from very young age I was very competitive I was always in, my parents were very good about making sure that I had good education all around so I had a very strong artistic upbringing so I was always taking art lessons I started playing piano when I was six I was I was competing as a singer starting at um sorry I started playing piano when I was three I started competing as a singer when I was six and then once I was older, I started competing in synchronized swimming. That was kind of like my family's thing. My sisters were all like Atlantic champions. Uh, I was starting to get, get groomed. I was getting ready for the Canada Games. And I ended up to having- To compete as a synchronized swimmer? Yeah, in team oh, routine. cool. Yeah. So, so you were really I, good then. I was really good. I was. And then I, I ran. Uh, there's a friend of mine in, in junior high. She was like chasing me for a pack of gum. And I fell and I hurt, dislocated my knee and then everything was over. So then I had to do a hard shift at that time. And it was a big shift because I was swimming like anywhere from minimum was three days a week. And then maximum was like five to six days a week with one day off. So it was a big training schedule. My entire life revolved around that. And when that happened, I had to, I was like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I started to lean back into my, my singing and my piano. And I started, I got really big into band at school and I started doing more singing. Um, and then I went to university and that's how I ended up at university to do opera. I also wanted to do journalism, but my parents were not down for that. They were like, nope, you're going to do something. You're going to do something else. I don't know why they were cool that's with That's so music. opposite. Yeah. Like normally they hear, you hear the kids like being like, I want to be an opera singer. And they're like, no, 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 you're going to do journalism. Like it's usually. Yeah. I don't really understand their logic. It that's was kind of like. You go and do science or you can do music, but there was nothing in between. So I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'm going to do music then. Um, and I had a great time. I graduated. I performed a lot and I moved to Toronto and I started working with the Canadian Opera Company in a non-singing, non-speaking role. 
specifically. So Wait, basically, what? I was a body. <laughs> I was, hold on, hold on. Okay, and we like skipped over a lot, but I'm like, how? So okay, you went to you're working for the Canadian Opera Company, but not singing and not moving. So I couldn't speak or sing in the production. Their their roles called supernumeraries. So basically, okay. you're an actor. It's like an actor in the play. You get paid a small like voluntary amount honorarium for your participation in it which is a great thing to do like if you're starting off as a young singer and you want to have pers like perspective of how these productions work i highly recommend it you go you have to audition they take your picture you have to audition to stand <laughs> but wait so yeah. what's the benefit to the opera of having just a body there um not everybody can be a singer right they they have a chorus and that's a set amount of people and the chorus has their what they need to do in the show. Um, they might not be able to go and like pick up heavy things or obstruct their mouths or, you know, they can't do things that would help that might impede the, the music or the sound and getting out. So then they bring in these other people who are willing to do those roles. So it's kind of funny. You get dressed up, you get to be a part of the opera, you get to do these like little things in the opera. And most of the people who are doing it are either opera lovers who just wanted a deeper ex relationship with the art form and, and a lot of young singers who are just trying to make relationships with people at the opera company before they either go on to join the chorus or maybe join the ensemble program or become a soloist. So it's, it's like one of those little stepping stones. Um, and it's, awesome. it's like it's like becoming an intern at a company and then like moving up or whatever after exactly Ex except for you have the experience of being in the show being in yeah. the show, which is awesome like yeah. it was, everything about it was great except for and so sometimes i would sneak singing like they would never know mm. they're like who's that, that? Is who what is that what's that what's that? Yeah. that heavenly voice and I'm like, oh, that, was, <laughs> that was me you got it for free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, that is very interesting. I didn't even know that, like, that happens or that's a thing. Um, yeah. But, okay, so I just want to reverse. So when you, so you were synchronized swimming, like, did you think that you were going to, like, like, make a career out of that or, like, go to the Olympics? Like, what was sort of your mindset around that um, before no, the injury? To be honest, like, I was just, I'm very present-minded. Present-minded awareness is a very big thing with me. So when I was doing it, I was like, well, this is what I can do. Like I have the opportunity to do it. So let's go as far as I possibly can, because that is just the logical thing. Like what else would you do? Why would you just do this for fun <laughs> in my head? Cause it's a whole lot of work mm -hmm. in my head. I'm thinking, um, this is kind of like in the natural progression. Like if you want to be a doctor, you go to med school. If you want to do synchronized swimming, you got to go compete in it. But what I thought long-term was gonna end up happening, I don't think I really had a long-term plan with it. Um, I did toss around the idea of auditioning for Cirque du Soleil for a bit, because they have that show in Vegas called O. So we all got the, the invite, which I didn't do. I saw it and I was like, do I really wanna, like I left that world behind me and it's really cool to go and see synchronized swimming right now, but it, it, it is a, it is like, it's a huge amount of work. Anybody who has ever done any athletics competitively, synchronous swimming is, I would say it's probably equivalent to figure skating because you have to be athletically strong, artistically um, graceful as well. Mm -hmm. I would say a dance element too. Huge dance element. You've got to be flexible. It's like 
gymnastics and water. Plus you have to have a huge amount of lung capacity. That's what I was literally, sorry to interrupt you, but like, so, okay, I have to ask you this because synchronized swimming actually like fascinates me because like I have a dance gymnastics and cheerleading background. So like (gasps) I sort of understood, like I kind of like got it a little bit, but like I used to try and like play around in the pool and like try and do it. And I'm like, but how the fuck do they hold themselves up? Like it, so like not only does it take so much strength, but like you need air. So like you have to hold yeah. your breath, go underwater. And then also like, I just don't even understand. And like, I used to come up out of water. I'm like, but I just don't get, don't get how they like hold themselves up. Like yeah. it's so like, it's fascinating. And it's, is there a technique? Is it strength? Is it everything combined? Like it's a little bit of everything combined. Cause you know how water is like, is the great resistance because it's like a low impact, no impact resistance training. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if you ever learned egg beater. Yeah. Right. So egg beater, that's like our foundation. So everything you do in the water is whenever you see the synchronized swimmers popping out of the water head first, and they're able to do ex- like elaborate things with their hands, um, they're using egg beater to hold them down. And that, that kind of like sculling under the water is the foundation for everything. So we do it with our hands or on our backs, or whenever you're upside down in the water, it's, it's the same. You're still sculling, but you're doing it up and down. So oh is, my gosh. it's basically three basic foundations that you need. Um, and then when you come to the air, trust me, everybody's dying. It's more of a mental over physical. So when you're underwater and you're in competition and you're in a team routine, you got to stick it out until it's time to come up for air. And you just have to trust. <laughs> like if you can't breathe, just figure it out. <laughs> Exactly. You got to trust that it's going to be okay. And then when you watch everyone's close-ups, because you're always smiling. So you come, you're like underwater and you're like dying. You're like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to pass. And you're like, oh, time for air. And you pop up and you're smiling. You're like, (gasps) you're like breathing as deep as you possibly can. And you're just like panting. It is the funniest thing. Because when you see everybody, we have these stone cold faces of joy on our, but the truth of the matter is we're all dying. Like everybody wants to just get climb out of the pool, breathe. So you, you really, so you live from moment to moment, but you also understand that your body, and this is when anybody goes to the gym or anybody's doing anything like that, you know, your body has an incredible capacity to perform under extreme conditions we're just so Mm. conditioned to live in a state of comfort the entire time that we don't truly test the limits of our body and we don't really know that so i mean you you did like cheerleading girl i'm so jealous about that you could do it it, it, so easily though if you have all that foundation like it's it's very um uh like crossover i would imagine like i obviously don't synchronize swim but like you kind of can just pick those types of things up because it's like from the same family you know that's incredible. So could you do like backflips? Mm-hmm. <gasps> Except for, so how, how dumb is this though? This is what like aggravates me a little bit about like Canadian sport is that with, for some reason, cheerleading in, in particular. So I was a flyer. So the, the one that gets like thrown and yeah, yeah. So it was so fun, but listen how dumb this is. So for some reason, there's all these limits on like Canadian cheerleading versus American cheerleading. So 
I, and I think so. I came from a competitive dance background. And the thing that I loved so much about cheerleading was um, when I first, like my first year in high school, when I was first on the team, my captain was from Chicago and she had just moved there. So she was like, like Midwestern American, like crazy, like cheerleading, like born and bleed. And that was, and she took it really seriously, but that was my world. I only knew how to like compete that way. Um, so I know some other people on the team were like, whoa, this girl's so intense. But I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we just, she just wants to win. Like, duh. So we're all here. Like, that's where I, like, I, I, yeah. I was comfortable with that. So she pushed us and like, we, it's so funny. Like she, we would do, do routine, like routine stuff. And then she would like go do all the research at the competitions. And she's like, Oh my God, we can't backflip here. We can't back tuck here. We can't do this. We can't do that. Cause we have all these rules. And in the States, it's just not like that. That's why like, yeah. so the teams are so much better there because they have more freedom to do those things. So she'd be like, this is so stupid. Like, why can't we do that? So our routines were like pushed so far to the limit where like we were almost backflipping, but then like, you know, some, something would happen where we wouldn't or like, but it was just ridiculous. Clever. The limitations. It was such like it was so like just annoying and frustrating that we had to sort of live in that world where she's like I know we can do better I know we can do more but we're not allowed but um so yes we could do that but then we were just like limited a lot in what we were actually able to do but um it was still like such a fun experience and like similar to you where you're like you always have to be smiling they used to put vaseline on our teeth so like the whole time like even if you were like absolutely like you needed to close your mouth you just couldn't so from a judge's perspective like all the way like out at the table they're like oh look they smiled for the entire time but really you're just like uh, like i don't want to touch the vaseline yeah like your teeth are just like exposed but you really actually weren't smiling but yeah it was so much fun i loved it but then i ended up um when, she, when my, that coach left uh, and somebody else took over, they just didn't have that competitive background. And I'm such like yeah. an all or nothing person. Like if I, it would like broke my heart to like half do it. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, I can't be a part of this if I'm not going to like go all the way and like be there every single day. Like I'm just like that. That's it. You know, you know that there's more. That's yes. the thing. It's like when you get a taste of it and you know that you can, you can push it or punch it a little step further, you're like, why wouldn't I want to do it? It feels so good. It's a scary space to go into, mm -hmm. but no risk, no reward, man. Exactly. You know, and I do think that there's something like Canadians, we are fundamentally, um, cautious like yeah like safer exactly but like you you can get there like oh it, it used to frustrate me so much it still kind of does <laughs> it, it frustrates me to hear that as well because it, it's it it is um cheerleading is a sport cheerleading is also an art form mm -hmm. and it's so closely related and tied to tumbling and gymnastics mm -hmm. but and like in such a cool way like it's just bigger and it, yeah and it has the opportunity to be seen by so many more people because it's so deeply intertwined with sports. So in my head, I'm thinking, why don't you allow um, the youth to kind of dive into this and grow it and nurture that culture as much as it possibly can and allow Canadians to put their own spin on it as opposed to putting restrictions on it and holding people back and maybe just kind of uninspiring people mm -hmm. and they don't want to participate or they leave the sport altogether. Like I just exactly. don't know. Exactly. And like in gymnastics, it's not that way. Like you can do all no. that stuff. So it's like, why in cheerleading? Like it just didn't make any sense to me. But it's also harder in Canada too to like, like, you, I mean, unless you're joining a separate cheerleading gym where that's all you're doing and like it's only about the sport and the dance and like that's one thing. But when you're on like a high school cheerleading team and it's like, like you said, surrounded by sports, it's really hard because like our, my high school, the main sport was hockey. So like we would go to hockey games, but like we're in the bleachers. We can't actually cheerlead like we would have 
we would do like small little arm routines, but I'm like, this is bullshit. Like I, I'm cold <laughs> and like, I don't want to like wave my arms around. Like I actually want to do our routines, but in the States it's usually football. So you have the field and like all the space to actually properly do it. So it's just like set up a little bit better there, I think. But anyway, it's still nice that at least we had the opportunity. Um, and that's stuff. I wish we could just do like, what like do everyone it. else can do you know like backflip yeah. and like it was the dumbest rules like I, I remember backflipping was one of the big ones but like we also couldn't like you couldn't have your both feet out of the your base's hand for like a longer than a certain amount of seconds or like some stupid stuff like it was the dumbest stuff you're like anyway, okay like won't do that then yeah it was just ridiculous but in I competition so yeah exactly right exactly um, okay, cool. So that's really cool. So then when you had your, so you have this injury and then all of a sudden you're just like, like, it's really interesting how you pivoted quickly. Cause I feel like a lot of athletes go, go almost through like a bit of a depression when that happens, when they've a, they're just like, like the most still that they've ever been in their whole life with when they're like nurturing their injury. But then they also come to that realization where they can't continue with what they yeah. love. Like, did you go through anything like that or a little bit because I can't, couldn't do like gym class at school gone. Like I was the girl that perpetually had to sit on the sidelines because oh. I no longer could do it because my knees were too unstable. Um, walking was really difficult. Like everything was just difficult because the type, the way that I hurt my knee was, it really was just aggravating something that I was born with, but I wasn't aware of it because my muscles were so strong in my legs that it was just keeping my knees in place. Oh. So when it happened and the way that it happened and the severity of how happened actually made it worse <laughs> so oh, I had like a hard stop and there was like a lot of things that I used to love doing too I used to love going sailing I would sail every summer I was like a hard and fast like well it's like PEI right you're on the water so you're mm -hmm. kayaking you're sailing you're rowing you're swimming you're doing all of these things and so a lot of it I had to stop in the short term because I, I couldn't do any of it so I um I really dove into my music background because I could be sad and play the piano <laughs> and that was it and it was it's music is like that really great outlet and if anybody who does play music they kind of understand that even if you're not writing the music even if you're singing other people's music or playing other people's music it's still a really good outlet and you can kind of get it out so it helped a lot um I started writing and at that time I started because I couldn't leave the house. Like my parents were so strict. So I also Because of your working. injury or just they were strict in general? Okay. Strict in general, but the injury helped. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's, it definitely helped. Um, but I, I mean, as a result, my, my parents got me a computer and I started building websites and that's kind oh. of, yeah, that's kind of how the digital marketing started. So, so cool. I built, yeah. So, I mean, it's like the pivot is, is fine. Like I've always, um, I think it's it's just a family resilience like because my my parents are my mother's British my father's Palestinian I had a lot of stories that I was growing up with about just how um, our family just was so resilient in a time when a lot of other Palestinians were being forced to flee or leave their homes due to the political situation and um, how for my dad, he was separated from his family and he couldn't, the borders were closed and he wasn't able to be with his family in Palestine. He was stuck in Lebanon with my great aunt. So at that time, I, I, I was just told all these stories about how, you know, he first wanted to be an engineer and go to school and just build things. And then when he saw what was happening to his countrymen, he wanted to go into medicine or 
he, once he was, he didn't have an opportunity in Lebanon or Israel to go and study. So he made friends and he hustled because my aunt was a public health nurse and she worked with the United Nations. So she got him a meeting with the, the Surgeon General in the United, uh, United Kingdom. So my dad with no English traveled to the UK and sat in his office until he had a moment to see him because of racism. He, they wouldn't allow him to see, see him. He was like, why would you even be here? You don't speak English. So my dad was like a wow. hustler and he pivoted. And regardless of what life threw him, he always knew that there was a way to make it better for himself, for everyone around him. And so when I went through my injury, I kind of had the same feeling. I wasn't, I wasn't going to sit there and be sad over it. There's nothing to be sad over. I'm young. I still have all of my life ahead of me. All I have to do is just put my mind into something else. It's okay to feel sad for a while. You're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but know that there's so much variety in this world and there's so many gifts that you could be sharing with others that you, it, it's, it's almost silly to imagine that, you know, at 14, like that one thing mm -hmm. was going to be it for the rest of my life. So I pivoted and I started playing with a web and I built a Sailor Mars website that did very well for itself. Like as in Sailor Moon, Sailor Mars? Like, yeah, man. Oh my so, God. Why Mars? Was she just your favorite? She was my favorite. <laughs> and why was she? Oh my God. That's a, I can't believe you just dropped Sailor Moon. So for those people listening who are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Sailor Moon was like the best like Japanese animation, but like mainstream. They spoke English. Like it was like very like American Canadian eyes so um but so good like if, so if you grew up in like the 90s then you totally know i used to collect sailor moon cards did you really i yeah. i had some of those too yeah i still must have them over at my parents place somewhere they must have brought them up they were like baseball cards but sailor moon cards. Moon. oh my god so crazy who's so you your favorite i want to know who your I favorite liked, was. i liked moon I of course moon. you did yeah everyone did i like i just she genuinely was my favorite though i think and like she's awesome um what was I going to say? No, uh, not Mars. Not, I, I like Jupiter, I guess, I too. I say Jupiter for you, But Moon, too. I think, was my favorite. Sailor Moon is, is definitely up there. I loved um, Sailor Mars because I loved how she was feisty. She, mm. didn't, she didn't subscribe to the roles that everybody else did. She, she was very um, spiritually centered, which I thought was very cool. She had pet crows or ravens, which I thought were badass. I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I want that. <laughs> She also had magic um, because she had her scrolls, her prayer scrolls. Oh, that's so, right. So even if she wasn't Sailor Mars, she still had a power, which was cool. She was the only one that did that. Uh, she was hot to trot. She was a bit more like aware. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, you know what? I think I was like too young to recognize those traits because I, I was really young when I watched it. So I think I was just like, oh, Sailor Moon. Like, you know what I mean? But having, if I were to go back and watch, it'd be interesting. I would like to oh. know what my answer would be. You should watch them because she oddly emotionally aware. Watching them now, the things that Sailor Moon says, I can completely relate to. They're, it's the funniest thing. Some of the comedy in it is is a lot older that most of it just flew over flew my over, head. Yeah, oh, then me too, for sure. Because like I was like really, really young watching it. I think I was <laughs> okay, just like... You don't need to brag. It's entertain cool. it. No, sorry. <laughs> I just mean like, no, no. Because now I'm thinking back and I'm like... You know, like, yeah, I would have never gotten any of those things. I think I was just, like, entertained by, like, I don't know. Oh, she was great. 
I loved it. So, so wait, yeah. Okay. So what does a Sailor Mars website look like? What do you do there? Why would you visit it? Like, I'm so interested. <laughs> it was just the, it was kind of like early web. And I had a friend of mine at school, um, a friend of mine at school was dating this guy named Will, and he was just building websites. And I remember talking to them. He's like, whatever it is you want, you can get it on the internet. And this was like, I never really, the internet existed. I just never really used it or considered it in a way that could benefit me. So I'm like, oh, anything and everything exists in this platform? Hmm, do tell me more. And then I was like, you can build a website. And then I tried to build a website. I thought it was just one big image file and it wasn't, and then my mind was blown and I realized that you can code it. So then I wanted to build a website. And the thing that I was really into at that time was I wanted to really be an advocate for <laughs> the benefits of Sailor Mars. So I put together a fan <laughs> site that had, why not? Yeah. So it had GIFs. Um, the whole thing was like everything you wanted about Sailor Mars. So there was animated GIFs. So I made those and I put together like jokes. There was a joke page with Sailor Mars jokes on it. There was a bio page so you knew everything about her, you knew about her powers, you knew about um, her best, the ep best episodes that she was in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I put together, and then I wanted more traffic to come. So at the time there was something called WebRing. So I made friends with one of the guys that created WebRing so that he made a custom WebRing for me for people who had character specific anime pages. Very quickly, uh, did you learn like HTML to do this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess you would have had to at the time. There was no other option. Oh my God, I'm so impressed. Okay, continue. And it was on GeoCities. So there was GeoCities, there was Tripod and AngelFiler. Those were the three main websites that people used for like making their own website. So, okay. And on those friend pages, do you remember that? Or did, that came a little bit afterwards, right? A little bit afterwards. Because there wasn't, so you had, if you wanted a website at the time, you either knew how to make it happen. You were like, I'm trying to use at, in the moment example or at that time examples like Netscape or Alta mm -hmm. Vista was the search engine. Oh, right. I yeah. don't even know. I, Cause this, this is pre Google. It's like actually like mind blowing to think about a time yeah. before Google. I know like, what did you, what, there was Yahoo too, wasn't there? But like not yeah. like, I guess that's what people use or what did you, or like, yeah, Netscape. I do remember Netscape. Yeah. So there's like Netscape was your main browser, but yeah. it also had a landing page. And then you had your main AOL, AOL, AOL. Everybody got their disk for their 10 free hours of AOL online. Right. You access the internet through modem. Um, and it was just like this bizarre, weird time. Like, mm -hmm. but you did have to, you had to code everything yourself. But these websites like GeoCities, Tripod, or Agilefire kind of, um, gave you instructions on how to do it, it kind of helped you through it was like a website for the average person. So your URL was actually a part of a neighborhood that your website had it aligned to. So for mine, I was on GeoCities. I was in Tokyo because I was an anime website. Mm. Uh, I think it was Tokyo forward slash four, nine, five, three. That was my number. And then you just kind of like, you treat it like a community. So there's a chat room specifically for Tokyo. You can go in, you can meet with other people, you can advertise your website. That was also the first time I interacted with porn because there was a hacker came in and decided to just post <laughs> porn pictures in the chat room. Really scandalized me. Uh, oh also realized God. you can get porn for free online. <laughs> um, and 
<laughs> the internet has really, really impacted me on, on multiple levels. And then, um, yeah, so I really just was like, look, I can, I have this website. So yeah, I was doing music and that was all happening on the outside. But then on my online life, I was starting to understand that there is a world there that I can actually dive into and I can create um, a place for myself. Like I can create a career, I can connect with people. So then I started to put together um, almost like goodie packages. So I would put together a little zip file and, and it would have like a GIF information about my website, um, background images, screensaver images, whatever. And I would go on to Telnet. So now we're going a little bit. Um, and IRC, which were different, like Telnet was, I don't know how you describe it. It wasn't like a chat room. It just was like another version like of the web. Forum or something? Yeah. It was like- It's so hard because it doesn't really exist anymore or it's just like so deeply embedded in like user-friendly things that we would never even need to know what it is, I think. You would never need to know, but it was a thing at the time. And I would go on and I would distribute these because you could, nobody was afraid of viruses. And um, I, that's how I started to create an audience and bring people into my website. And I got relatively good at it that I started to realize that, oh, hey, I could actually have, I can make a career in marketing. There's a place for me there. Oh, wow. So that's kind of how like the marketing is, everything in my life just kind of like always goes side by side. That's Creative, so cool. marketing, always, 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 always. Yeah, so you were just like a true natural and like a native at, especially like internet marketing, which sounds so like weird to say that because like, duh, now, but like at the time, yeah, that was extremely, and that was really innovative because even like, I remember my introduction to all of that, I was like, wait, what? Like, what the fuck? Like, it was like, so like, I think you either kind of like understood it or didn't. Like I was I, I, like when um, Wix and stuff came out, like for web, I was like, thank God, man. Like I'm not learning HTML. Like I am not doing no. that. But like, if you just gravitate to it, like, it sounds like you just picked it up really naturally. Like that's such a skill. And I don't even think at the time, like nobody really even realized how big of a skill and like how handy it was going to be for later. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's so cool. So you're like doing, so did you ever end up getting any like analytics or anything for your Sailor Mars website? Like, do you know how many visitors there you was, have? You had like a, a site counter, like a visit counter, but I mean, it wasn't accurate because back in the day it wasn't, that wasn't something that people really thought to analyze. They really just said, okay, let's analyze how many people are coming in. So, I mean, it was a significant amount. I remember seeing that number and comparing to other people. You can still find the website on the Wayback. Is it called oh. the Wayback Machine? It's still there. Oh my gosh! Has, has was, anyone like touched it at all, or is it just? It's still a hundred percent. I mean, they took a screen. They took like a snapshot of the internet, right, of, of different periods, and they've archived it so that that oh information my God, is lost. That's so cool. I'll send it to you. You'll laugh. It's okay. chaotic. You may get epilepsy from it. It's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of flashing text and it's But that's hilarious. what Sailor Moon was. There was so much flash and like, like epileptic things. <laughs> and early web design by there, a 14 yeah. year old girl. That's awesome. <laughs> so, I love it. Okay, so let's quickly flip back. So you're like doing this, you're going to school and you're becoming, or you're practicing singing and yeah. all that. And so then when you leave um, high school, like what was, like, did you sort of have an idea of what you wanted to do at that time? Or like, were you like, I have to go to university? Like what was sort of happening in your life at that time? 
I was committed to university and I was committed to doing music in university. And that was it. Like was I was, let's go on. Sorry. Was that because like you, you saw a future like as being a singer where you just like, I need to do this and like, I'll figure it out later. I think I, well, I mean, at the time I, I was very much, um, I also like, it was just like, I have this talent and I might as well give it a shot. Cause what's, why not? Why not? You know, there's a lot of people in this world, like I can always go and do sciences later. I can always go and do med school later. I can always do all these other things later. Um, but the thing is, is that when you're dealing with music, it's a talent and not everybody has that. So I have the talent, I have the drive and I have the, the, and I have the long lifelong training within it. So I might as well pursue this to see if I can turn it into something. Once I got accepted in university, I was like one of three students to study with a teacher. Her name was Patricia Lee. She only takes three students every year and it's like this thing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I was really lucky. Um, I got into her studio, which was a big deal. And so I'm like, okay, this is a good sign. And then I, I just kept doing it. And I, I did master classes with opera singers and a lot of like important people within the opera community in Canada. And they all have very encouraging things to say. But the thing that they kept saying was the type of voice that I had, they said, it's not going to be mature until you're in your thirties, which is very discouraging to hear. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because when you're like 18, like I went to university, I was 17 when I went to university, I was really young. So to hear that starting as early as like 17, you're like, that is in your thirties. That's like a world away. Yeah. That's so, like a hundred years away. <laughs> I'm like, so this is my life for the next 15 years is I'm legitimately just going to be sitting here and I'm going to be practicing and I'm going to be slogging it out. And that just wasn't enough direction for me. Like, cause I need that. Cause going back to that competition, like mm-hmm. I need to have a trajectory. I need to know what the next thing is. I need to know what the next competition is. And you're telling me that I'm not set up for success because of the style of voice that I have. And I just, that was the first time I felt defeat in my life. Mm. And I was like, well, well, fuck it. Like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So I had to, I tried it, but my heart wasn't really necessarily into it in the same degree. Um, Now looking back, I kind of understand what they were saying. Um, I was gonna say, did you notice, like, I'm assuming you're like close to like 30 ish now. Uh, Yes. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) did you notice a difference at all? Like, did you check in at that time and were you like, oh shit, my voice is different or like, I, my, well, yeah, my voice is very different now. Like it's, it has so much more control to it. If I was still training it, it would be a much bigger voice. I have a lot of natural resonance. And I noticed that as I got older, um, my voice is like deepened and it definitely has gotten more stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a really long time. That's a big bet. Yeah. Fuck. That's, exactly. Especially like when you're in school and all, yeah, it's really hard. No, like, and that's the time in your life you really should be going out and you should be earning an income. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm not going to be able to earn an income. My goal was to get to the Canadian Opera Company. And your average, if you're a principal at the time, if you were a principal singer in one of the operas, and there's usually about six of them, um, six people in the main cast, you're looking at 10 grand per show. That's 60K for a few months' work. I could do two shows a year. I was like, great. I'd be netting 120K. I mean, grossing um, 120K between two two different shows at two different places around the world. I was like, that makes sense to me. I'll work really hard and I'll get to that. 
but I, in my head, I was hearing it was going to be another 15 years before I got to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, okay, what are my other options? And so I started to look at all the other options and it was really just financially, it was really disappointing to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, um, I gave it a go and I, my heart just wasn't in it. And that's when I started to understand the connection between mind. Like you really have to mentally be prepared to dedicate yourself to whatever that task is, whether it's, you know, swimming competitively, whether it's making a career out of music and the arts is like a very specific type of tenacity that you have to have. You really have to believe in yourself to the point when if other people are saying to you, no, you can't do this. You, you just don't listen to them. You're like, okay, cool. I get you. You do you bro. But this is like, this is my life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to sing my guts out. And I know there's going to be one person that's going to say yes to me. I just kind of gave up on that. Yeah. So if you don't have it in your gut though, like then it's hard to, and it's also a waste of your time. Like, you know, the times to like, just buckle down and the times to not bother kind of thing. 100%. 100%. That's exactly it. And once you get in your own head, you can't really get out of it. So I don't yeah. blame anybody for it. It was me entirely. Was, yeah. like, I allowed myself to think that way and have that toxic thought. And I nurtured that and I nurtured mm-hmm. it and I started seeing it reflect back to me, mm-hmm. um, which is like, that's, that's my own doing. Good lesson though. Yeah. I learned it early. So exactly. <laughs> um, so is that when you transferred over to marketing or like, how did you get involved in that? Yeah, that's basically, it's kind of like a, <laughs> this is actually a funny story. So, um, I have a lot of lives. So I was coming into the end of my, um, my career as a singer. And now at this point I've moved to Toronto because I was auditioning and I was, oh, that's right. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so was, you finished university in PEI and then you moved to Toronto. Yeah. And okay. I was in New Brunswick, then I moved to Toronto. Oh, that's right. Okay. And then I'm now in the city and I'm just trying like half-heartedly to kind of audition to get into opera school. It's not working out. I'm doing stuff for the opera company. I'm just like, um, then I noticed there is a website called workinculture.ca. And workinculture.ca is a fantastic website for anybody who wants to work in not-for-profit in marketing or development. So that's like development being fundraising, not web development. And um, so I found this website and they had a program there for anybody who wanted to retrain. So it was an artist retraining program specifically to do marketing or not-for-profit fundraising. And I was like, great. Yeah. And it was a 56 week program. It was sponsored by the Trillium Foundation, as well as a consultancy group called Genovese Vanderhoof and Associates, which was one of the main consultancy agencies for all of the arts organizations across North America. So I was like, this is a good, this is a good bet. I'll apply for this. So I had to like submit a resume. I had to write an essay. Um, it was a pretty r- rigorous process to get into it because it was a scholarship too. Like I was paid for to go back to school to do this for however long. Um, So I did that. And as I was waiting to get into it, I decided to do pageants. So I was like, yeah, cool. Well, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I know I'm pretty. So (laughs) I like, hey, Trinidad and Tobago, one Miss Universe back in whatever, 1991, 
I could do it. So let's do this. So then I, I really got focused and I just started training and I did beauty pageants for a period Amazing. of my life. But then it came through. So then I was like the girl going through, I was going through marketing school, essentially this crazy intensive training program that they only took like 10 people and like 50% of them drop out after like the first semester. Um, so I was like in this really intense training program. And at the same time, I was like really intensely training in pageants. So I did Miss Universe Canada. I did Miss Toronto. I did Miss World Canada. And then I was going to do Miss Earth. And then I was like, I'm done. So, <laughs> so you did three. Did you, how, what's the highest ranking you got? Well, I should have met one Miss World Canada. Truthfully, I really should have. That was fixed. That was like the year after Ashton Jam. Really? Nazanin Ashton Jam. She had won uh, Miss World Canada and she had gone off. And then afterwards she was like, you're going to take my crown. Like we were all, it was, should have happened, but there were some like, there was some like nonsense happening on the sponsorship board, which I confirmed a year later from other people who were judges. So I should have won. Oh. So, I mean, technically I could have been Miss World Canada. The biggest passion that I won was, um, I was actually a finalist in Miss World Canada and should have won. And I was, but I was Miss Toronto. Oh, nice. So that was fun. 2005. So that I think is good, but I never got a crown because it's Canada. Yeah, I know, right? Like there is like, fuck, I have such a problem with it. Uh, but that's still awesome. It's, it's still like, it's fun to compete and then see results in anything. So that's still an awesome thing for you to take with you wherever the fuck you want to bring it. <laughs> yeah, and it was also a great conversation topic because mm -hmm. going to fundraising events, I learned so many important skills that I did not have before. I learned how to do makeup. I learned how to walk. I learned how to have productive conversations with strangers. I had, yeah. like, I learned a whole host of, of skills that, like, soft skills that I just didn't have before because I was so tactical. Yeah. Like, this is how things work. But through pageants, I had to learn how to, like, walk and, like, talk and be, like, have confidence in myself in a social capacity as opposed to in a skills capacity. So, those two actually played each other really nicely. So when I was coming into doing my fundraising events and I had to go and talk to donors who are major donors who are giving to an organization anywhere from 50K to a million dollars, I had no fear because I'm like, hello, yes, I am wearing a lovely designer gown. Let us have a conversation. <laughs> you should give more money. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly. It was really... But I didn't know how to do makeup before and I didn't know how to dress and I didn't know how to do any of those things because it just wasn't like so sequins on a headpiece for a synchronized swimming routine. Yeah, I got that down pat. Um, what to wear when you have to go work out. Yeah, I got that down. Like what do you wear when you're going to perform? 100%. I get it. Like, but anything outside of that, like where to look when the makeup artist is doing your face. Yeah. But anything else outside of that, I just, I was completely lost. Yeah. Was, and so you gained skills. I gained a lot of skills, surprisingly. Nice. A lot of skills. And a tolerance for bullshit because girls in pageants, they're some sneaky bitches. Mm -hmm. like, I, I had no idea. Girls were like hiding shoes. They were like hiding your makeup. Um, they're shady girls in there. Highly yeah. competitive. Basically, like, watch the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous. That's very similar, except for no one died in my pageant. 
I did, um, I did Miss Universe Canada as well. Mm. And um, so I, I do know a little bit about what you're talking about and I made it so far. And then the, um, the very, very, very last, like, I don't know, round or whatever, we were doing like some walk. I was so deathly ill that like, no. I literally couldn't hold my upper body up. Like it was, and I, I, I barely, I can't believe I even got out of bed like that day. Cause if that were now, there'd be no chance on this earth, but I was like, I don't know, 22 or something. So I was like, just pushing you myself do it. and I got there and I, I was, I remember like walking and I'm like, okay, my upper body's going to collapse. Like I, I'm so hot and I'm freezing. I was like sweating. I was so pale. It was like, um, the bathing suit round no. too. So I was like, literally just like shit. It was so bad. Anyway, I like, I, I literally, I think I did like one or two walks and I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here because I'm going to pass out. And I ended up just going home. And then like, so I had, I forfeited because I left, but no. I was so, yeah. And any other, and like, I'm like you two are all just like push through, push through. But this was like nothing I've ever, I don't even know what it was. Like maybe the, it ended up being the flu or bronchitis or something. Actually, okay. I think it may even end up been, being pneumonia because I had pneumonia at that age too. At one point it was fucked. I, I, I was so sick, but yeah, I know. I kind of know what you mean. Like, um, just like, yeah, bitches are crazy. <laughs> they take you down. Yeah. And it's, it's like, worry about yourself. Like, girl, like you, whatever it is that I do up on the stage is what I'm going to do up on the stage. Yeah. You know, maybe you should worry about more about you tidying up how you present yourself. And then maybe we can be a competition without you feeling like you have to take me out. Yeah. I, it's bad. I actually dislocated my knee before in the, before the preliminaries for Miss World Canada, they were filming a documentary at the time. So it's just like this, which you can, I think it's still around. You can probably find it on YouTube. It's called Five Days to Fame, the Miss, or Miss World Canada story. Um, but I ended up dislocating my knee. And then I also remember the night before the final, he who shall remain nameless from another competing pageant decided that he was gonna come and he took my evening gown away from me because I was borrowing it from a local dress designer. She was also, she works with a lot of pageant girls. Um, this guy who, I don't know why he decided to do this. He came, he took my, my, he took my evening gown right before the show and gave me this other gown, which was at the time it was like a size two, size four. And he gave me a size 16 gown like just, he was like, here, take this. And I'm like, what is going on? If it was me now, I would have held it down a little bit differently. I would have treated it, but I was so young and yeah, I was so impressionable yeah. and I was so scared. And there was a lot of things that were happening at the time. And I just went with it. And then I ended up with this, this gown and I put it on and I just broke down in tears. I was like, I'm so close to, to winning and I'm so close to the end. And this is what I'm getting. And then at that time, that was actually one of those moments and pageants that you hear about where all the girls kind of banded together. And like one girl was like, I'm a seamstress. I can fix this. I can do. So oh, everything. Nice. That's like in Miss Congeniality at that very, very end. They're like, Oh, we'll, we'll fix you. We'll help you. We'll fix you. We'll help you. So I had like, my dress was held together with everything from dress tape to safety pins. Um, and we were just like, everybody just kind of banded together. They did this. They were like, you're not going to go out like this. Like Aww. you're getting so close, you're getting so close, you're gonna make it. And they just like everybody, like this frothing, whirling worker bees all came together and I ended up having it didn't look great, mind you. It was still a little it was very you could tell it was cobbled together. I mean, we took it down from a size sixteen to a size four. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
they did it and I had a dress and I walked on a stage and <laughs> I was like, please tape, do not give way at all. Um, but we made it and I was really grateful for that moment because that was just, you know, community, regardless of what the competition is, whatever, you know, what happened was, I mean, it was one of those moments that as a pageant girl, we all universally could accept that that was a shitty thing to do to somebody. Yeah. Um, but then they all came together and again, like you roll with the punches, you can't get too upset about anything. Life is always going to throw a curveball, no mm-hmm. matter what you do. But I came out with it with, again, some more great skills. And here we are. That's amazing. Um, so tell me about Nat. What, oh my God, Nat and Nat Marie. And Marie. I think I do remember this actually. So tell me all. Like, did that come after yeah. through like your marketing and stuff? Or yeah. okay, yeah. cool. Tell me about it. So we did. Um, so came up, did, did my marketing, and then at, left pageants, and then just kind of missed working on things. So I found my way to a show called 20 something TV and was the first, it was the first talk like digital talk show, digital project in Canada that got a million viewers. And as soon as it got to a million viewers, it kind of like disappeared. There was just That's some, so weird. It <laughs> it's happened. Like the opposite of like what you would expect. It's there's still remnants of it online. Um, but there was like an interpersonal issue with like the producer and the creator. And then they were just like, we're going to shut this down. So once that happened, I was like, I'm craving something. And I also have this, now I have this new marketing skill set that I didn't have before. And I really want to dive into doing something new and I want to bring everything I learned all together in one project. So I teamed up with my friend, Nat Tubanos, who is working at Fuse Marketing now. And um, we put together just show. And at the time it was really controversial because nobody was live streaming like that. There was two platforms that was live stream and I can't remember the other one, Ustream or something. And, um, people were just talking heads live streaming. So there was no production setup. There was no studio. There was no multiple cameras, but that's what we did. We created... I'm sorry, how did you, like, wh- like, how did you get, like, a studio, like, and did you have to get, like, a budget for this, or, like, how did all of that happen? We just used found items. Oh, wow, so you literally. literally produced it all completely yourself. Yeah, we hacked it ourselves, like, we just figured that it was possible, so all the technology was there, all the, the possibility was there, we just had to bring it together and kind of cobble it together, so we found switching software that would accidentally and happenly work with with live streaming. So we were able to use that to, what? yeah. So we try a lot and it happened in my living room because Nat was living with me for a while. And so we just Stop. set it up and we we're just like, let's go live. And you were and switching it while you're hosting it. Yeah. So oh we're my just doing God, it. that's crazy. All for my computer. We had the computer camera, we had a webcam set up and then, so we had two cameras to start. And then we had clips that we had loaded onto my computer and then we had lower thirds um people oh my gosh that's awesome and then we did that for a season we moved into a studio with our friends who had a startup called b notions and um we were a part of the b notions crew which was like kind of like the best way to describe it is like in a startup during that period in toronto where everybody was doing startup and tech B Notions was kind of like the Andy Warhol factory of Toronto. So like all, everybody. So you had um, uh, Satish Kanwar and his company, Jack Cooper. Satish is now over at Shopify. 
uh, sold Jack Cooper, got consumed by them. Then there was also Dan Dembski and Biz Media. Biz Media was like the video production team. They went off and they did really big things as well. Uh, he ended up, now he has a company called um, Inbound Merino. So he's just gone off to do all his favorite things, but then the offshoots of those are still around the city. Um, my gosh, who else was there? Carolyn Van, who's working with Ladies Learning Code or Code Camp, whatever it's called now. Like there was a whole crew of us that just kind of all came in there and we all worked there. They had bunk beds that they had built. Oh my God, that's amazing. So sometimes we'd be just there working late and you know, we would do all these things. So we came in, we used their space in order to broadcast the show. So that's where we had our set. And we helped them do like a live stream goofy thing every night, like Wednesday night after our show, which it was just, it was this crazy fun time. So we built it out and that's how we ended up doing, um, we had like everybody on the show. Like we focused specifically on like people who are on YouTube. So who are the influencers who are doing really good work? How are they doing it? What was the topics that were defining the internet and our lives? So we were tracking everything from news to trends to the people who were the celebrities or the celebrities as we called them. Oh, that's, I've um, never heard that term before. It's a good term because it it's, it's specifically people who are online. So we yeah. called them celebrities um, and we interviewed those people. So we were trying to like do the whole gamut. So we talked to like, oh my gosh, we started to run with the Reddit crew. That's how we ended up in New York working with Reddit. Um, we had Epic Mealtime. That entire crew was on our show. When they were on our show, they got to a million subscribers for the oh, first nice. time. So that was a big moment for Epic Mealtime, Harley and that crew. We had George Strombolopoulos used to watch a show because we were doing something a little bit new and different. Then he came on our show. Now he's a mentor. Um, like everything great kind of happened from the show. And then once it shut down, it was really sad. Why did it? Nobody could get it. We were oh. live. Yeah, I was like, going to ask, where was it streaming off of? Like, what did you have to do? Did you go to a website or like? Yeah, we were streaming off of Ustream and we were streaming oh, that's right, you said. Daily Motion. Okay. We also did a partnership deal with Daily Motion. Um, and then we were doing like live events so people could hire us to go and live stream at their parties. And we were doing that too. We were making some money, but we weren't making enough. And the problem was, is that everybody who looked at it when we were going in for sponsorship meetings is that they were like, we don't get it. We're like, why? Uh, too why early. It was too early. They're like, well, I mean, why would we want to tune in to watch your show at eight o'clock on a Wednesday when we could be going, we can watch whatever we want when we want. And we're like, because it's live, like we're bringing you everybody that you would want to talk to, like all the coolest people. You can call in at any time. We have phone lines and Skype lines that are open the entire time. So if you want to participate in the show, you can. Like, that was what we're doing. We're trying to bring that old school, much music ethos into the internet age. Mm -hmm. um, and now we know, like, it was a foundation to a lot of other shows that are being produced now. Um, but we, like, find out about that afterwards. Like, I'll have yeah. people who are, like, producers at different television stations, and they're like, yeah, so we just got a pitch for a new show, and they're like, based upon the cult show, Nana Marie. And I was like, yeah, great, awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. But, like, hello, can, where's, can you give me a little taste of that money? Like, do you yeah, like yeah. anything out of that? For so, sure. That's kind of like the, the rough side of everything. You know, you can be a vanguard and that's awesome. But, uh, and you learn a lot of things from it. Oh my God, like we were hustlers and we created, and we had a studio in Kensington Market 
We were just and like, like how, were you just like using that studio? Like, or were you renting it or like, was it a trade thing? Like how did that, how did that uh, work? Being Oceans was like a trade. We, we were like a part of that family. And then once we had to move on, we ended up getting in a studio ourselves in Kensington Market because right above the blue banana, there's a black box space in there and we just took it and we just made it into our home. And we had like, we shot, we, sh we rented out that space to people who wanted to do film ads. We, um, we used it as a co-working space. Like anybody who wanted to use it, it was there to use. Like it was a studio, it was set up, you could live stream from it, you could use it for photography, whatever. So we, um, that's kind of how we covered the expenses off of it. Nice. You're, you're really, you're like really early in everything, like even co-working spaces, like that wasn't really like, nobody understood it back then, but like now they're everywhere. So like, I love how you have always had really good instincts, but like just a step too early. I've kind of felt like that a little bit with certain things as well. Um, but it does hopefully like eventually click. Hopefully. And like, well, and what you're doing now, I feel like, you know, like, cause what, so what did you do? So sorry, I kind of interrupted. No, you it's there, okay. Like, so after Nat and Marie, um, so like, how did you get to doing what you are now? I guess, tell me. That's basically, it was like Nat and Marie and I took a step back. I had some like personal, um, I went through like my own like personal issues, um, which made it really complicated for me to work on my, on the things that always drove me. And I ended up taking a step back and sacrificed a lot of the things that I wanted to do in order to help uplift another person, uh, which ultimately it didn't work out. We ended up splitting, which was very sad. And once that happened, it was a classic, like, what do I do now? I got to roll with the punches and I'm feeling like, like, who am I? What am I? What is this world? And I had to be flexible and I had to like do that thing that I've always done in my life. Life gives you lemons, what you make out of it. So I, um, ended up reconnecting with my friend Chrissy, who it's funny because our entire lives, it turns out since 2005, I wanna say 2004, we have worked on similar projects together without even knowing that mm, we had done that. I love that, yeah. So we've only realized this recently where we became friends on Nata Marie because she was helping us with some PR. Um, Chrissy Newton, who has vocab communications now, but at the time she was helping us out with the show, I had no idea that we had actually had many other parallel meetings before without even realizing it. And now we're really good friends. So we ended up reconnecting and it turns out she was going through something similar um, to me at that time, just in a different way. And we started talking and we realized that we both have um, these subculture interests. She's really interested in UFOs and ufology. I'm really interested in spirituality, astrology. If I could be, um, the, if I could have been like one of the witches in the craft, I totally would have done that. Oh, totally nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I'm like, I, I love that. I think it's life is magic. I'm, so I think that's cool. And so we ended up talking. And then as things go on, we started that we had the seeds for a really good show concept and I started to recognize that we were going down this path and went okay like this is that's life giving you that come up again saying okay here's a new project for you to work on and so we just started to toy around with it and we came into the show Alt Pop Repeat which is now um, we're in our fourth episode with Biff Naked 
Um, and it's a podcast. Yeah. It's a podcast. So we just wanted to do something that was like really simple. We wanted to use a lot of our own personal skills that we use for all of our clients to help them have success. Um, but we wanted to work on it on a project ourselves and we wanted to do a media project. So I said, podcasts are the easiest. Like we don't have to worry about having a large team to do what we can do it ourselves. So we started doing that and it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. So we're exploring, um, we're exploring how subculture, counterculture and alternative culture turns and drives pop culture. When is that point that it turns from being this weird alt thing and turns into a mainstream thing? Mm-hmm. So, so interesting. Yeah. So then we talk to different celebrities who have some sort of expertise in that area. So punk, punk music to pop culture is the show that we do with Biff Naked. So she talks about her story about how she comes up on it. Um, and then at the end of the interview, Chrissy and I come back together and we have a conversation on what we learned from Biff and, and syncing that up with pop culture. So nice. we, we dive into it. And it's a really interesting project because we're not, Christy and I are not afraid to have a fight. Not, it's not a fight, but it's like we have differing, differing, different, different opinions. Yes. Yeah. Differing. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So we're not afraid to kind of go there and push each other in those directions because we're friends. Like we're not, Mm -hmm. there's no fear that I'm going to take anything that she says personally so it makes for a really good tension in the show and it really makes for a good debate because we're not always like, yeah, that's so nice. And I'm really proud of you. And I'm applied. Like we're not trying to keep it a safe and comfortable place for everybody. We want to go into those places where we want to have deep, profound and constructive conversations and really get into the weeds with things and think about stuff. Like we're, we want to get into areas where we're talking about very controversial topics um, and challenge our listeners to go those places without fear because like there's the court of the public opinion, right? Mm-hmm. You're afraid to say, some people are just really afraid of what Twitter is going to come back with. Like it's a real concern. Um, so we're, I think like the trends with this one that I'm trying to push, like my vibe has been, let's be uber transparent. Let's be ourselves. We're good people. If we're, if we say something that does not align with the general public. We're open to change. Like that's our vibe. Mm -hmm. I am not going to grow as a person if I don't share my point of view. Yeah. I'm afraid. Like if you're not, if you're not openly sharing, then how do you know, how do you learn? If I have a toxic belief that I don't know is toxic. Yeah. I want other people to tell me so I can change that belief structure. Exactly. We just have to get out of like this cancel, cancel culture era that we're in because people are terrified to do exactly what you just described. But exactly. It's like, it's cool because I'm not going to hurt anyone else for their opinion, but like, don't hurt me. But like, let's just discuss it. Like, let's have a respectful debate. And then that's how everyone's minds are opened and changed or not changed. Or like, at least you can have a better understanding of like where people are coming from. And like, that's only going to help everyone. Like it's, I think it's such a simple concept to a lot of people, but then to others, it's like, God forbid you say something that's like not popular. Um, and people will literally like, like, eat you alive for it but it's like but okay but tell me why like don't fucking scream at me just like maybe teach me your opinion and maybe I'll agree with it like it's a very like I don't know it's just insane this um, it's insane and it's unfortunate yeah 
That's so unfortunate because that's the world that we've created. I mean, in one place, it comes from a really wonderful space that we as a society want to create a space in which everybody feels welcome. But it's but the exact opposite. <laughs> it's the exact opposite because what it doesn't realize is that you're not born with enlightenment. Yeah. Enlightenment is something that usually comes through pain and learnings and sharing and living openly and honestly. And there's a few tenets to the internet. And this is what makes like internet marketing so great. It's like, there's a few tenets that hold true. Accessibility. Uh, oh shoot. Now I'm in transparency, accessibility and technology. Oh, relatability. Relatability. There's like, there's three like foundational tenets to the internet and social media and why that works so well in the beginning. And then we started to get away from the transparency of things. If you take a look at a lot of the TikTok like vibes, it's all these like really talented, really beautiful young kids. Um, but dude, like their eyelashes, the eyelash craze, like we need to are you, do you feel this too? Like people's eyelashes are getting out of control at this yes, point. Yes, they are. <laughs> like that's not natural or even like I'm all for, I'm all for plastic surgery. I'm really excited to partake in that one day. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like this, this, um, the impact of filters and being perfect mm -hmm. online is really having an impact on people. So I like to think that we're getting to a stage now that we want to see realism. We want to access real people. We want to be able to go into a safe space to share our opinion, whatever it may be, um, to educate each other in a productive way. And so Chrissy and I are creating that environment really slowly. Yeah, we're talking about UFOs and we're talking about um, spirituality with Matthew Santoro, or we kind of get into Me Too with Strombo, which was a really important, incredible episode with him, uh, or punk music with Biff Naked. Like these are still relatively soft topics in terms of the whole grand scheme of things, but we do want to start veering into the direction where we're talking about civil rights movements. And do we even have civil rights in, in an idealistic way right now? Or we want to talk about the uh, diaspora, um, and native culture and the uses of abuses of cultural appropriation. And we wanna talk about uh, trans and trans rights and drag culture and confusions around that. We wanna talk about twerking. We wanna talk about like, mm -hmm. we wanna really get into a lot of topics that drive pop culture that are still very controversial. Yeah, and like scary to, to enter. It's very scary to enter, which is like why we're kind of starting it off. We're trying to build our audience before we go into that direction. Um, but they're like, they're incredibly important conversations. And I, I think we have the ability to do it in a light, a light and easy way. We're not offensive people. Um, so I think it, it's, we can create a safe environment for people and also we edit it down too. Mm -hmm. So nice. So your digital, so wait, okay. So that's your alt pop repeat. That is your podcast. Congratulations. So Thank everyone you. can listen to that and I'll give the Instagram at the end of this. Um, but then in terms of your digital marketing, do you have your own business? Or are you with an agent? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. We didn't really t discuss that. So after you did that school, um, you went off and started your own thing. And so like, what type of uh, things are you doing for your clients? Like, are you running their social media? Are you doing like campaigns? Like what type of stuff I, are you doing for them? 
I joke, I call myself the dream killer. So I come on board and everybody has these grand <laughs> ideas. And I'm like, mm, you know, that's, that's not, not going to work. work. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually get hired by companies that want to try and build their footprint. And I do it from a very tactical, I take it back. So I do, uh, I usually will do a web audit. I'll take a look at how everything is performing and I'll see what is doing what, who their audiences are. I'll take do a thorough competitive audit. And then I distill all that information to say, look, this is kind of like your likely moves. This is what you strategically you should focus on. Maybe it's paid advertising and let's do an upspend on your paid marketing. Or maybe it's just like, really all you need to do is just talk to people. So you probably should do some community management. So that's kind of what I do. I'm like a strategist in the foundation of things. Um, and then I'll pull in other people. So if we need like a PR person, maybe it's really, they just got to up their, their profile. I'll bring in a PR team and they can help put that together. Um, if they need better creative, then I'll bring in like video production teams and then they can put that together. But ultimately, like I'm a strategist, that's it. Like I don't do like, I mean, I can do it, but I don't really love doing it, which is doing like the, the, social media writing mm -hmm. or copywriting it's like you're I like can. The, you're you're mapping out the plan yeah and then i can put the team together to help drive it which is what i'm doing um with cbc right now so i'm working with cbc sports i'm on hold because the olympics are on hold um but i'm working with their sales team to help re i want i'm reshaping the way that the agency is considering their digital marketing nice so, how can they sell it? What can they sell? What is the value of it? Who wants to look at it? What audiences do we want to grow? And what brands can help align and build that content? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's a fun, it's an interesting job, but that's kind of like, that's my day job. It's like the, it's the dry, but kind of interesting side to digital marketing that not a lot of people really do. Yeah. It sounds really cool. Very, uh, um, very unique and also like aligning really well with your skill set and like how it's all built and stuff. Just totally. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So before I let you go, I wanted to just quickly ask you, um, number one, uh, the speakers that we discussed before we started recording, um, just tell me about like a story about them and why you picked them to be like your favorite speakers. My speakers, my Converse shorelines, they're like the they are kind of like nautical in nature. I find them, they kind of remind me of being a kid running on the docks by the water. Um, it takes me back to a time. I love that they're just slip-on sneakers. So I just get those kicks on really easy and I can run out the door. They're Converse. They look great with everything. You literally, you literally can wear them anywhere, everywhere, and with everything. All generations consider them to be like cool sneakers. Um, also, they're really like, you know, the ones that I have are totally beat up, like literally fraying at the edges. And I still will wear them with no shame. And everyone always says, Converse, they're always better when you wear them in. But I was like, these are decimated. They're disintegrating <laughs> on my feet. They're like, no, no, no. They're so cool. They're better. Right yeah. So I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I love them just because they're timeless and they're effortless and they're good price too. They come in I mean, if you do destroy them, you can get a new pair for like 30 bucks, 60 bucks, whatever they are. So it's still reasonable. Um, but I got them because I just always wanted a pair. And um, I had gotten this at one point at the end of my, when I was an influencer back in the day, it was like, I got the last uh, influencer gift that I got was actually a, a 
gift card from Sport Check. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and I never spent it. And it, for something about it, like it meant something to me. I was like, this is was the last influencer gift that I got. And it had this mystique around it and I never spent it. And I also was with somebody who I loved very, very much. And I still love very much, um, but we're not together anymore. But I couldn't, I felt like everything that I had had to go to him. I wanted to uplift him in every single way. So this card, I just kind of like kept. And then one day I just went out and I had this massive, like the, the straw broke. And I'm still in a relationship with him. Straw broke. And I was like, I'm going to go shopping. And I went in, I was like, I need a new pair of sneakers. And I pulled out the gift card and I forgot I had it. And I was like, I'm buying my shorelines. And I just went right in and they had them. They only had one pair left in stock. They were in my size. And oh, I was wow. Like, totally yeah, meant to be. It was totally meant to be. And that's how, how it is. And, and now they're many years later, they look a fright, but <laughs> they, they're, I love them so much. Nice. Beautiful. Um, and what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody like a younger you? Don't get in your head. Don't get in your head. No matter what people tell you, don't get in your head. You know, what's right for you. Just focus on that and go and just stick to it. And that's it. Like if the moment that you, the moment you start telling yourself that you can't do something or you're not going to do something, you're not going to do it. It's over. It's over in that moment. So you don't need to lie to yourself. Um, you don't try and need to sugarcoat things. I think you just need to understand that even if you hit a hump, a low period, um, and if people don't understand what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Just stick with it. At some point you're going to nail it and, um, and you're going to live your dream. Just don't give up. Beautiful. That's it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. I really appreciate it. And everybody listening, you guys can follow Marie at um, on Instagram at Karma Cake. So K-A-R-M-A-C-A-K-E. And then also check out her podcast at Alt Pop Repeat. So it's just A-L-T-P-O-P-R-E-P-E-A-T. So like just how the words are spelled. <laughs> so um, sweet. And um, yeah, if you guys are listening, oh, you can follow the podcast, obviously, at Coming Up In My Sneakers. And if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and you want to leave a five-star review, that would be really cool. Um, so feel free. You are more than welcome to do so. Otherwise, have a great week, guys, and don't get caught wearing dirty sneakers. Bye. <laughs>